For our next message, it will be brought to us by Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, Lost and Found. Well, good afternoon, everyone. There's no handout today, no outline of the scriptures that I intend to uh, preach from. Uh, the copier is not operating today. I would like to uh, first begin uh, by reading, I think, I think I can read, here it is, from the uh, preface that I usually write before I give, give the sermon. It reads, Lost and Found, that's the title of the message, and basically from Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11. From the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement is ten days. What is our approach during this time? In the Jewish community, the ten days are seen as ten days of repentance. For some, we continue on until uh, the evening that we begin to fast. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to that, right? I guess we should be because of the day and what it means to, uh, for uh, the nation and for every individual. Now, some see these days uh, as a wake-up call. A wake-up call to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and just ready ourselves to enter into the kingdom of heaven and the great and joyful changes that are pictured by the three feasts that are, that are coming. So hopefully in these words of the message this afternoon, there will be words of encouragement, something that uh, will at least uh, you'll be able to carry home with you and think about. In the book Essential Judaism by George Robinson, the ten days that start with the Feast of Trumpets and continue through to the Day of Atonement are known in the Jewish community as the ten days of repentance. It is a time when thoughts turn to our mortality, to sin, and the need for repentance and the hope for redemption that is pictured by the coming Day of Atonement. I'm not going to be talking about the atonement. I'm just going to uh, talk about these days in which we are living now. But as we know, that both the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement have a mixture of joy and a mixture of solemnity. The book also says that the Sabbath that falls between the days of awe is called the Day of Repentance. And it became a custom for a rabbi to mark this day with a sermon exhorting repentance. So I thought I would follow along uh, with that theme. So some familiar scriptures may come to mind when we think of this. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, it says, The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. In Romans 13, 11, the Son of Man is come to save... Uh, 13, 11 reminds us saying and knowing that the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. 
And some of us know that this is true because the older you get, the closer you get to that time. So as we've heard in previous sermons, like from Luke 21:35, you know, we need to be uh, to prepare. But in Luke 21:35, it, it also tells us that we are to take heed. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare, it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. So to know before those days come that there is going to also come a time when there will be joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Now, today we know about 9-11, and some may remember where you were and what you were doing and on that day. What about December 7, 1944? It's a date that, one of those dates that uh, lives on in infamy, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And uh, August the 6th, the, in 1945, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, and two days later on Nagasaki. Uh, or November 22nd, 1963, the assassination of John Kennedy. Or maybe November 9, 1989, the day the Berlin Wall was, was open. I remember most of those, except for Pearl Harbor and for the atomic bomb. It's a little bit before my time. Now today, the date of 9-11 is associated with a day that shall live on in infamy, as people say, as the saying goes. So those not bef born before that time or who are too young to remember that terrible day will likely come across it in their history books or videos or things of that sort to, uh, that will tell them about it. So most of them know the story behind 9-11, and I'm not going to uh, go in, into it, except to say that day, just like those other uh, events along those dates, were a wake-up call to Americans and Christians everywhere. So many thought that war and the end of the age was upon us and that the prophecies of the Bible and what Jesus was uh, prophesying about was surely coming to pass when 9-11 happened. There was, of course, an excitement and a fear which gave rise to the preaching of Bible prophecy and that there was more to come. Church attendance went up. People prayed for their safety. And unbelievers and backsliders became concerned. That was 20 years ago on this date that the number 911 became etched into our into our memories 911 as we know is the number we dial of course to report an emergency and that day of course was filled with a lot of 911 calls every police department fire department Every uh, emergency uh, place in that area was responding to what was happening there at the Twin Towers.
rescue service, responders, medics, ambulances, hospitals, doctors, nurses, and what have you, and those who were alive watching that scene, uh, that uh, scene unfold were on their TVs. And so these responders went to try to save those who might be found, those who might be lost amidst all that rubble. We also know that the military went on alert and that the civil uh, defense went into action. And it was uh, eerie, to me anyway, to look up and not see a, an airplane in the sky because you know they were grounded, flights canceled. And there was, you didn't hear any sound of, of any aircraft. There was just a quietness. And so it had an effect on a lot of people to see those things taking place. There was, there was, of course, the worry that there could be many more attacks right here in our homeland. So today, for the loved ones of those, and we, we see a lot of uh, memorials taking place, names being read, videos of that day, uh, whose lives were lost on that day, and those first responders also have that deeply etched into their uh, memories. Like I said, it was a wake-up call. And one might w wonder how many have gone back to sleep spiritually. I read a story of how dogs were trained to search for survivors in the rubble. And they couldn't find any. And the trainers sensed that the dogs uh, were stressed because they couldn't uh, do what they were trained to do. And so they uh, had volunteers go hide in, in uh, places so that the dogs would happen upon them and feel like they have uh, found a, a survivor. So there's always some kind of a search in which people look to save those that are lost that have a chance to come out of the situation they're in. And we see that in our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the sermon this afternoon is, is titled, Lost, Lost and Found. As we know, we lose things from time to time. We, we, depending on how valuable it is to us, we try to look for it, search for it. And Sometimes it's not just a thing that we lose. It might be a spiritual quality or a thing that we have lost. We, we might lose our direction in life or we might lose our self-dignity, uh, maybe our faith and maybe our hope and we go searching for it. So we know that Jesus, the Son of Man, said this, that he came to save that which was lost. So let's look in Luke, chapter 13, uh, beginning verse uh, 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering them said unto them, do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because 
They suffered such things. That's why this bad thing happened. It's because they were sinners. And Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then Jesus said, what about those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? And Jesus again said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So, you know, death happens. Good people die. Bad people die. And in these parables, Jesus presented these things, that bad things can and do happen, that accidents happen. And we make mistakes, but we learn from them, as in, as in, in the earlier message, that we learn from them. We uh, gain wisdom or knowledge, and we gain understanding. And the second the point of the parables is about repentance as the only thing that can really spare one from death on the way to the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 15, verse 1 there, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear Jesus. They were searching, maybe for uh, uh, some understanding. And the Pharisees and scribes that were there, they murmured among... uh, among themselves, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus spoke this parable, verse 3 What man of you, or which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. I have found that which was lost. And, you know, sometimes we're happy when we find something that we think we have lost and won't see again. So Jesus was speaking about these publicans and sinners that had come to hear him and to whom he was sent to bring them unto repentance. But the Pharisees there didn't see it that way. And what Jesus pointed out to them in this was that they, people, were more important than an animal, that uh, a sheep that went lost. So Jesus said unto them, verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So Jesus said that he did not come, we know, to save uh, the righteous, but to save the sinner. And we are all sinners, no matter how perfect we think we might be. And so we also sin sometimes. And we go astray and and lose things in our life and not uh, repent. Sometimes we lose things because of negligence. We neglect our salvation. 
uh, we neglect where we put things. I have sometimes a habit of putting my keys wherever I want to lay them down, and then I'm looking for them, and I can't find them. And, uh, of course, uh, Carolyn always tells me, uh, where did you leave them last? <laughs> and, well, they're not there. So sometimes we're just negligent. We forget to do uh, our spiritual duties and what's required of us. We're all sinners. Now, again, in Luke 15, this time in verse uh, 8, he gave another illustration, another parable. And he said, if a woman has ten valuable silver coins and loses one, won't she light a light or a lamp or a candle and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And then won't she call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her? In the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one repents. You know, repentance is, is not really a, a one-time thing because throughout our life when we realize that we have done a wrong or have committed a sin and we acknowledge it, that we repent, we turn away from it. And even then, there is joy in heaven because they see that that person is trying to turn his life around just as we do sometime. So in these parables, these stories are you know, they're likely based on real events. And in the shepherd, we see a type of Jesus who cares, who cares for and loves every single person, even as he does the value that he sees in a person, as in every obedient child, as they are growing up, he sees in them a potential to be a, a son of God, and that, you know, that child will someday become an adult. So there is joy in heaven when one repents of wrongdoing and acknowledging their sins. And we know that to say we have no sin is just to call uh, God a liar. So as, you know, as sure as the sun rises, sometimes there are temptations that lead us astray. But there is joy in heaven when one repents, because repentance means, means life, and it means and, and not death. Now, the woman that was searching for the lost coin, she knew it was somewhere in the dwelling, that it had to be in the house because she didn't go down and she didn't uh, march down to the store where she last was, or out in the street, or out in the yard, or wherever. It was in the house somewhere. So she swept the floor of the house in which she lived and like it says every nook and every corner and cranny and you can kind of picture uh, you know going through frantically looking here and there which I've done a lot is just looking for stuff in a book entitled The Sound of Music by Angel Martinez he explains how valuable this coin was and why she would make a, a diligent search for it. And uh, you've heard, the re heard that uh, explanation before, I'm sure, but I will mention it again as uh, Martinez, Mar Martinez explained it. I'll, I'll paraphrase it a little bit. But 
he wrote that in the times and customs of that era, around the first century, women did not receive a diamond ring at marriage, you know, like today. Instead, they received a headband with ten silver coins evenly spaced and attached to it. They were dowry coins and sometimes worn as a necklace. And this signified that she was married to a husband and belonged to a husband. So the coin, of course, was of great sentimental value, just like a wedding ring would be, and it also had monetary value, of course. But in the course of the marriage, if the woman became unfaithful to her husband and was found guilty by the court, one of the coins would be removed and the missing coin would, you know, tell the story of why it is missing. But we see this woman was so diligent in looking for her lost coin. She knew that she was, had not been unfaithful to her husband, but without the coin back in its place, she could not say otherwise. So there must be a why as to why she was so joyful when she went to tell her friends and her neighbors that she had found the coin. So when we lose something, we know it's usually due to carelessness. Maybe we lose our temper. Maybe we tell a lie. Maybe we don't uh, forgive or we wrong someone and something of great spiritual value is lost in all that. And so we make a fervent prayer unto God to restore us unto the joy of salvation. And for the woman who found her coin, it was her way of rejoicing and for her neighbors to, uh, and her uh, friends to rejoice with her because she'd found it. Psalm 51, here's a prayer of David. Uh, you know, we know David was a man after God's own heart, whose heart we know was one of mercy and loving kindness and forgiveness, not willing that any should perish. He knew God was merciful. And he wrote in verse 1, he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. So there were some things that David felt like he was losing that had to be found again, and the only one who could restore what he had lost was God, was Jesus Christ, the Lord. So he said, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. 
hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So David was very diligent, very sincere, very wanting to be forgiven, to find what he had lost. But he trusted in, his, in the Lord. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Sometimes when we go through some sort of experience that takes away what we value and we realize that God has uh, come to our rescue, that he has found us, that which was lost, we are able then to convey our experience to others and say, you know, I understand. I know how you feel. I've done the same thing before because of the goodness and the graciousness of God that we are able to convey that kindness and that loving kindness and grace of uh, Jesus Christ. And sinners shall be converted unto you. When they look at their own sins and realize, I, I don't, I've got sins that I don't think God could ever forgive, but he's saying that sinners uh, will be forgiven. You know, in Isaiah where it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, you God of my, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open you my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you, de for you don't desire, for you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. You delight not in burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken Spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure unto Zion, build ye the walls of Jerusalem, then shall you be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Because in our life, to do good, to know to do good, is, is often hard. But this, it takes the sacrifice of righteousness to get, uh, to regain our footing in being a Christian or being forgiven. <clears throat> With burnt offering and whole burnt offerings, then shall they offer bullocks upon your altar. So the one sheep that went missing, we know had strayed somehow from its fold. And the shepherd knew that it was in danger of being forgotten and lost, hurt eaten by wolves or, or some other predator. And so the good shepherd knew and he went to look for the lost sheep and bring it back. In the following verses there, of course, I won't go over this, we've gone over this a lot about the prodigal son. You know, he, he went astray and, and hit uh, the bottom of the barrel. He was heartbroken, lonely, empty, hungry, ashamed just like so many in our world today who go astray, not having a, a home or a place, but because they were tempted away from the fold. 
But he came to his senses and he remembered the love of his father and, and returned. And then we see the joy of the father. And in like manner, there is joy in heaven when one repents of their sins. Isaiah 53, 6, we read this, that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Romans 3.12, the Apostle Paul said that there is none that does good. No, not one. And that <clears throat> Jesus took those sins to the tree, the star rose or the upright, the wooden pail where he bled and died so that we might live. In Acts 13, and when they had, verse 29, <clears throat> and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But Christ, verse 30, but Christ raised him from the dead. I'm talking about uh, John, or Christ. 1 Peter 2 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by those whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So we were once lost in our sins and now we are found. And we come to worship God. We come to sing praises before God, we come to listen to his, the words that are converting to the soul if we heed and understand what they say. This word that denotes sin is from the Hebrew word, I don't know if I pronounced it right, but it's kite, K-H-E-I-T. It's a term from archery. When a shot falls short of the mark or to fall from the path, so sometimes we miss the mark in our daily life. We maybe intend, when we get up, we intend to do what is right to do, uh, and to not say bad things or think bad things. And, and sometimes we miss the mark. We fall from the path, fail to live up to our potential and to uh, the obligations that we have as Christians. But ever since the beginning of time, man has done his own thing. I need a, a little bit of tissue. So the woman lit a lamp to bring light because, you know, the coin was lost somewhere in the darkness. She knew it was there. She just had to shine the light on it. She had to uh, also diligently search for it because it just wasn't going to come back automatically and appear. So she needed a light for, for uh, her soul to show her belonging to the Lord, that she was married, still married, to the Lord. So the message of Jesus to the publicans and sinners 
along with the Pharisees and scribes, was this, that all have sinned and are lost in darkness, and that all should come unto repentance. Remember, you know, Jesus said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And three, that he is the good shepherd who came to save sinners, to seek that which was lost and to save them. It's like all of us. We have been saved by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God. And he said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, Matthew 19, in Matthew 9, 13. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, said the Apostle Paul. So we need a Savior, and that Savior is, is, is Jesus, because it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins and who is now at the right hand of the Father as our high priest. He is our atonement. He, we're, we are covered in his blood. He's the Lamb of God who uh, came to save the world from sin. You know, that it, the whole world, not just a few, but the whole world at a time to come. In John 1, verse 29, John 1, 29, I need to turn to that. Sometimes I... Need to read the context. John 1 29, I think. Uh, the apostle, the, uh, John the Baptist had said in verse 27 that it, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchets. I am not worthy to unloose. And these things were done in Beth Abara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is he, he of whom I said, After me comes a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. He was preparing the way. <clears throat> and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom ye shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which with the, baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we are baptized, you know, in the Holy Spirit, given the Spirit of God, the gift of, of many things, 
takes a while sometimes to know what they are, but uh, like uh, a tree that bears good fruit, it's something we uh, look at and try to live up, you know, to the potential. And I, <clears throat> and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So we see that Christ died for all. He was the sacrificial lamb chosen to give his life, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There, is, there has to be the shedding of blood, just like as in those uh, sacrifices of animals back in the day. But Christ, once and for all, and has uh, given his life as uh, the Lamb of God, and we have accept, accepted him as our personal sacrifice. First John chapter two, uh, verse one. <clears throat> My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John knew when he wrote this that no one, you know, is perfect, and that we're going to need an advocate throughout life as little born ones, which is what that uh, children, the Greek word for it means, little born ones. As little born ones, we are still learning to walk and to grow. And we have a lot of it to do. Verse 2, he is the propitiation, that is the, the atonement, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments, verse 3. So keeping the commandments, it means life and also understanding of life and why those commandments are our guide in this journey of life. Now we know that we have an arch enemy who has yet to be bound to deceive the world no more for the coming thousand year period, Satan the devil who deceives the whole world. And we cannot, you know, let our guard down because he appears as an angel of light, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a counterfeit, a false prophet that Jesus Christ warns us that in the last days that there shall be false prophets and shall come and deceive many. So we have been lost, but now we are found. And reminds us, you know, of songs that we sing. Uh, Once I was lost, and now I am found. I'd like to close with... <clears throat> 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, in chapter 2, what page is that on? 
Is someone already there? 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Not there yet. <clears throat> I was uh, telling uh, Brian, because sometimes whenever I, I turn in my scriptures, that uh, I might change a digit, not intentionally, but he would come to me and he would say, well, there's no... Uh, a scripture like that <clears throat> and he, he he keeps everything together most everything together <clears throat> and so in 1st Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 and I was telling him about there was this preacher one time that after he gave his uh, sermon he said uh, that uh, Next sermon, he's going to be speaking about uh, talking on the subject of lying. And uh, so next, and he wanted them to read uh, Mark chapter 17 to, so they will have an understanding. And so the next uh, church meeting, the uh, preacher said, well, how many of you have uh, uh, gone over Mark 17? And everybody raised their hand. And <laughs> there is no Mark 17. And so he said, that is a good introduction to the sermon that I have this afternoon. I told that because I couldn't find <laughs> First Peter 2.20. <laughs> I had to fill in the airtime somehow. You know how the sponsors are. Talks about Jesus Christ, who, when he was reviled, re didn't revile, not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, that we should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For we as sheep going astray, but are now returned, but are now found, returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So as we look toward the atonement, we stay in a repented attitude. We look to that day when uh, those who repent, there will be joy in heaven. And so... It's a fast day, but uh, it'll go by pretty quick, I think. <clears throat>